0: Oh, that was pretty cool. I just put that together today. I'm pretty happy about that, actually. That seems really nice. Hey, everybody. Uh, What's going on, folks? and Hammer here. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about Strength in Depth, which was uh, one of the very first um, sanctioned events in calendar year 2020. We had Mayhem Classic just a couple weeks ago. We had Strength in Depth um, today, this weekend. It wasn't today or this weekend. It was this past weekend. As you can tell, I, I lose track of time in here. There's no there's no time or space inside of this studio. It's just um, behind the camera, infinite nothingness stretching off forever and ever. It's pretty dope, actually. So I just kind of wander into the frame when it's time to go live and, and start talking to you guys about CrossFit. Either way, uh, so today we're going to be talking about strength and depth. Uh, we're going to take a look at... The, uh, the programming. We're going to take a look at the competition. We're going to talk a little bit about the broadcast, the in-person experience, which I did not experience, uh, unfortunately, but very pumped to still talk about it. I talked to a bunch of people that were already there who did have a good time talking about it um, or, or who did have a good time there. So I kind of have an idea of what it was like and uh, the prize money. We'll talk about that for a little bit as well. But before we get into anything else, just a uh, shout out to everybody as always. Today's episode is sponsored by water, lots of it, because hydration is the key to infinite youth. I'm 86 years old, and all I do is drink a glass of water a day, that's it. That's all I do. Um, that is all it takes, and uh, that's how I stay so youthful. so So goddamn sexy, I think, is really where I'm going to, but before we go any further, me playing around with stuff on the desk here is just to give you guys the show that you're looking at. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about left Aristophanes. We talked about him yesterday. We did this this quick little news break thing. I posted on my Instagram twice yesterday evening after it was over with, and I I want to make sure that everyone is just as po- as confused as possible. It is already a very confusing situation let's go ahead and make it even more confusing. The first thing that I'm going to show you guys is this post that I made yesterday, last night. Um, It is a look as to what could possibly happen that could lead to the scenario where Lucas Hogberg gets the invite from strength and depth. And uh, here's what that ends up looking like. If Lefteris is removed from the leaderboard and everyone in the leaderboard moves up a spot, Panchik should get the final top 20 spot. Panchik is going to decline his top 20 spot in order to compete with Mayhem. I know that that's worded really confusingly. Next up on that list is Georges Kervis, who would get the national champion spot from left The backfield then goes on to David Cherunke, who just won a spot from strength and depth. So then his strength and depth qualification goes to third, which is Lucas Hoogberg. Now, this is a very convoluted series of steps that relies on HQ actually taking an action that they haven't done before, which is both removing left errors and moving everyone up on the leaderboard and the blue line dropping because of it. However, here's where things get even more confusing in case that wasn't enough. There is no guarantee that this is going to be the case. For example, the other opportunity for HQ to make a decision point here is that because the test did not take place during the open, his open results are not invalidated. Instead, He gets disqualified, his national championship spot is moved up, and therefore the open line doesn't move, and that's it. Either way, it's kind of unclear exactly what's going to happen because, unfortunately, the rulebook does not have a stipulation in place for what happens when a national champion tests positive. They have a stipulation in place for backfilling if the national champion qualifies for the games um, in a team, for example, but they don't have... A situation in place for what happens with drug testing, disqualifying a national champion. So but I have no idea. I have no idea what's going to end up happening. Um, CrossFit essentially has a couple of different decision points here. They need to decide whether they're going to backfill the national championship spot. I think that they should. Then they're going to need to decide what they're going to do with Lefteris, Dioffinidis' open scores. It is Highly unlikely that we see them completely remove his open performances and reshuffle the entire leaderboard. That's just not going to happen. It's also pretty unlikely that we see him removed from the leaderboard completely and therefore changing the full open leaderboard based off of conversations that I've had with people at HQ. It doesn't seem like there's going to be many changes to the leaderboard, if any changes to the leaderboard. So do not... Do not go around congratulating Lucas Hogberg on getting a spot to the CrossFit Games because fact of the matter is he does not have a spot to the CrossFit Games. He has a very confusing weight ahead of him if he cares to put any effort into, you know, waiting to actually see what's going on. Um, if he is not qualified through strength and depth by like this whole crazy, wacky backfilling situation, I I, I am not really that worried about him. He's the type of athlete who's going to be just fine. He's going to find a way to qualify. Uh, and that's, that's not going to be a, that's not going to be an issue for him. But that said, that is enough of that. Let's go ahead and talk about strength and depth. The 2020 elite sport. Guy, I actually wanted to start here because this is a really interesting thing that I've, I saw strength and depth do that I did not see other uh, events do. You see running an event is very challenging organizing an event is very challenging lots of different moving parts here we're going to try and tackle some of the biggest portions of it like i said we'll talk about programming competition broadcast in person experience prize money so those are going to be our five big giant overwatching over hanging boxes within which we're going to look at but i want to 100% point out the fact that Strength and depth seemed to be very well organized right from the get-go. This is a PDF file which lays out for the athletes what they can expect in terms of the timing for registration, what the facilities are going to look like for the athletes, what the coaches' passes look like, all the individual events, all the team events, all the standards of movement that they're going to be using for their judges, they're going to take a look at the prize money is at the back end of this as well. You know, they, they really just laid out a, a very in-depth look, a very professional look of what this competition will entail. Um, and as you can tell, Porsche dug it enough to be one of the title sponsors. So shout out to Strength and Depth for bringing Porsche onto the fold. That's pretty dope. Uh, I don't think it was like the CrossFit game situation where the athletes were given cars to drive over the weekend, but if it was someone, please tell me, because that's even more cool than just having the name on the, on the event. But let's go ahead and kick this off by talking about the programming. Now I did a little preview right before I believe it was exactly a week ago before the event started of what the events are going to be. We talked a little bit about, you know, what to expect and where I thought they had some strengths and weaknesses, but I just wanted to say that overall, I actually very much enjoyed the programming on both the elite and uh, on both the individual and the team side. Um, I felt like, you know, having seven scored events over the course of two, three days of competition. One of those scored events was a half scored event because it was such a specialist and new style event. That was the on water rowing, but we had a, you know, mid to longer range running event that was just straight up cardio, followed by a classic CrossFit triplet, one event that we saw at the CrossFit Games, the standard, the on-water rowing was a great little, you know, uh, wrench in people's gears uh, is a good way of throwing it, but also just a, a change. You know, it's it gets really interesting um, very early on to watch a ton of CrossFit and a ton of people exercising very quickly, but it gets boring as well. And while the Actual broadcast of the on-water rowing wasn't super exciting. The fact that they were actually just doing it that was that was exciting enough. You know what I mean? Um, in terms of the rest of the programming, this big chipper that that gave us the volume that we we're looking for. You know the uh, the the heavy clean and double event that was your heavy event, and then the final events of the weekend were you know high volume, high skill gymnastics work, and this crazy sprint event. Uh, to, to wrap up the weekend. So that was the individual side. I really, really enjoyed the uh, overall flow of the programming. I think the highlights to me of the programming were probably going to be either that double under clean workout or this final sprint event. They're just both a lot of fun to watch, good races across the board. You know, you, you're you leaving a lot of decision points in the athlete's um, hands in these events. And that I think is important in order to create Interesting events. So, for example, what I mean by that is, athletes are are confronted with decisions of how to approach these workouts. For the double under clean event, the question is, how do you break up your cleans? Do you go fast singles? Do you try and touch and go early on? Maybe do sets of two or whatever. Maybe, maybe not. Most people try to go singles. Uh, you know, Matt Fraser did that big set of ten, stood out from the crowd because of it, won the event because of it. That goes to show you, you know, there's something cool there. Bron Linkovic doubled the last bar, the 140. That you know, that that type of thing is is somewhere where you can easily set yourself apart as an athlete. You make a different decision, you put yourself into a different situation, you know, you you set yourself apart from the crowd. The final event I thought was really interesting because it did the same thing. It put the decisions into the athletes' hands, not about how fast they were gonna go, because everyone was gonna go fast on the 21 and the 15, but how they were gonna do the nines, because it was three sets of three. There was no rule that you had to bring the bar down or even put it back onto your back before you walked it forward, but you had to progress forward on the floor every three reps. So twice the athletes were essentially faced with the decision. Do I keep this bar overhead and walk it overhead? Do I drop it back down to my back, walk it forward and snatch balance it? And so that decision-making process being into the hands, of the athletes is, you know, it gives the athletes more autonomy. It gives us as spectators moments to kind of say, hey, I think this is the best way of approaching it. I bet you they're going to do X, Y, and Z. Whereas, for example, while chipper events, very big chipper events tend to be, you know, the type of uh, event that pretty much is defined by CrossFit style competitions, it's not always super fun to watch because there isn't really... Strategic differences between how people are going to handle a workout, right? If a workout starts with a hundred pull-ups for time, who cares? Like it, there's no. It's just the person who has the shortest levers and the best grip, are is probably going to be the one to make it through, right? Or a, a workout that starts with you know, a hundred dumbbell snatches. Okay. So we're just going to stare at people do dumbbell snatches for four and a half minutes before the rest of the workout starts. Great. Right. So there's, there's kind of this, yes, it's necessary to program that, but there's a way to create workouts that force the athletes and encourage the athletes to make difficult decisions about how they're going to approach it, what they're going to do in the middle of it. And I think the programming here did that on both the individual and the team side. The team event had a running event as well. They had a sandbag. So for at least half of each of the teams, the running event was harder than the individual running event, which is really interesting to see. The rest of the team events were also very similar to, but pretty dope when it came to bringing in the team aspect, the worm aspect You know, they did a bunch of different male-female paired events. They did a couple male-male, female-female paired events. Um, They had some synchro work. They had heavy work. I like that the team events were kind of similar but not the exact same. That was one of the, the faults that I think the early regionals team competitions really fell into is that the team programming was just clearly... It was like an afterthought. It was like, okay, how can we get this workout to fit into a team of six? Or how can we get this workout to fit into a team of four? And this type of programming I felt like was really well executed. I'd say the weakest part of the programming on the team side was probably this event. The 10 rounds for time, legless rope climb, handstand walk, synchro sandbag cleans. It felt a little bit clunky to me because of how quick it was. It 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 doesn't quite separate in terms of the capacity to do things like legless rope climbs as much as it separates the capacity to do these things very very quickly. That is, again, this was this was one of the events that was the most fun to watch because you got to see, you know, who's going to do the handstand walk or how are they going to you know go back and forth on the legless rope climb. Is someone going to make an issue? Uh, or making a mistake on the legless rope climb and take, take a very costly no rep, right? These are situations that create some excitement throughout the show that is this competition. You know, it doesn't really lean into the athlete decision side of things, but it does lean into the athlete capacity side of things. So it was fun to watch. I just felt like the workout itself was maybe on the, it was like the lighter side, right? It just needed to be something a little bit more uh, maybe if it was, you know, two legless rope climbs for the male, one legless rope climb for the female, that that probably could have been just just right. You know, I would have liked to see that, um, just change it a little bit. Um, or, you know, obviously you're working within the logistics of the event, and I li- literally started the show off by saying, yeah, they're 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 working within really real tough logistics, and they did a good job of sticking to schedule. And now let's go ahead and throw throw a wrench in that and just change the whole thing. But what I'm basically saying is that. Out of a bunch of really stellar events, I'd say this is the one that probably needed just a little bit of love, a little bit of love to, to get it up to the next level. So overall, I'd say the programming was really good. Um, I think it was just classic CrossFit stuff across the board, uh, you know, A- for sure. Um, you know, I, I like the fact that the heavy event on the individual side was built into a workout that had double unders in it, and it was like a ladder I like the fact that the heavy event on the team side was its own thing, but it was it was just kind of capstoned onto the back of this like sprint synchro couplet. You know, these are really interesting decisions. They're ways of sort of changing up the way that many of these other events program or contest this whole exercising really quickly thing. And that's the type of change. That's the type of new look that many of these things Uh, Many of these things being the sanctionals can learn and sort of apply, I think, into their their programming. So overall, very, very good. Um, And I think, honestly, it feels weird giving like a grade for programming because last year, the reason why it was important to do that was because no one really knew what the sanctionals were supposed to be. I mean, we we had an idea of what the off-season competitions had looked like in the past, right? Before it was sanctioned, Dubai was basically the winter CrossFit Games. It was five days long. It was like 68 different events. They're doing three different swimming events. They're running 10 miles into the desert and then snatching 500 pounds and being chased by dragons or something. You know, I mean, it was just like this crazy, wild, high-volume, off-season, soul-crushing event that was pretty fun to watch because it had a huge payday for the athletes that were showing up. So when Dubai was sanctioned as the very first event, it was like, what is going to happen? Like, are these sanctioned events just all going to be CrossFit Games-style events? The athletes are going to die. This isn't going to work. And so I think... Last season, not really having a context for what are the sanctionals supposed to even look like, I feel like it was important for myself, for Justin with morning chalk up for us to sort of come out and be uh, critical and uh, offer feedback Offer, you know, the the spectators, I'm just, I'm singling us out because, you know, we're sitting here talking about this right now, but the spectators, the fans, the athletes themselves, the coaches, the participating people, all the different members needed to be involved in this process of providing feedback. The cycle needed as much feedback as it could because these sanctioned events didn't know what they were supposed to be. And I think we kind of have fallen into where it's supposed to sit. And I like to use this, you know, is it games minus, is it regionals plus... Is it regionals plus games minus? You know what I mean. It's like games minus minus, but not quite regionals plus. You know what I mean. So there's there's a bit, bunch of different ways that you can single out. Like okay, here's where we're going to sit amongst the, you know, uh, the the type of spectrum where we could be programming and what type of event we could be running. And I think many of these events, you know, strength and depth included, this being their second year being sanctioned, but they've been running it forever. They have really gotten a feel for where they should sit because previously it was Dubai as like essentially the CrossFit Games all over again, five-day competition, ton of events, lots of volume, you're going to be hurting after it's over. Or it was like no one wanted to touch regionals. So everything was programmed kind of sort of a little bit easier than regionals because it was either a big inclusive event that tons of people were going to be participating in. And that's how they made their money by having 2,500 different people participating and competing it so the big participatory community thing or they just didn't want to challenge the way regionals challenged because who cares about these tiny little off-season events when people are all just focusing on open regionals games open regionals games and so now that there is this structure for people to fall into i don't know how important it is for people like me to say oh this thing gets a b plus or an a minus or you know i mean i don't know how important it is for me to say that As far as saying, hey, you guys did a really good job of of putting together a a solid, well-rounded test of fitness that picked and resulted in the best people being on top, I'd say that that's about as good as I can go. Like You did a good job doing that, so I think uh, Ollie and his team should be really proud about the work, and I, I know how much work went into it, the work that goes into making the programming actually function individually and as a whole. Uh, that they, they did a really good job there. So that's the programming. Now let's talk a little bit about the competition because the competition at strength and depth was really, really fun to watch. And this is something that kind of, you know, plays into the forward-looking aspect of talking about these events, right? When you review an event like this, It's already done. It's already over with. Whatever it has been able to accomplish has already happened. So when we talk about how is the competition, what we're really talking about is what are we going to see the next time this event shows up? How can we learn from what happened? Are the athletes going to be excited to be there? Are spectators going to be excited to show up? And I think the answer to many of those questions are positive answers. The competition at Strength and Depth was really fun to watch because athletes were basically tested in interesting and myriad ways. But more importantly, the expected outcomes were kind of flipped on their heads. For example, Mayhem took a ninth place finish, middle of the pack finish on the very first event, and were forced to win every single event after that, which is not easy to do because they were being pushed by team Wade, as well as by uh, train like fight. So what you, what we saw was an unexpected start, a very close competition, um, you know, powerful and, uh, and, and really exciting finishes to various events. We saw teams forcing and pushing themselves into places where they hadn't been before. We saw mayhem sort of fighting off their, off the, their back foot. Um, we saw really a, a an entire scenario play out that we hadn't seen in the past, which was mayhem fighting their way back from the bottom. Not something that usually happens with them. They had one bad sanction event last year at Wadapalooza, but it was pretty clear from the the depth of the field there that they just weren't going to be able to make it back. And from how bad their finishes were in a couple of the early events, whereas here, you know, a ninth place finish, middle of the pack finish, it wasn't the end of their weekend, but it could have been the end of their weekend if they followed it up with another bad finish after that. And they didn't, they followed it up with straight up wins, except for the last event they took second, right? So that was a really exciting competition to watch. And the same thing kind of happened in the men's and the women's fields In the, in the women's field, you know, the favorites going into this thing, Haley Adams, Laura Horvath, you know, these were athletes that we all expected to do very well. We saw great showings out of Gabrielle Magella. Um, we saw really solid showings, Kelsey Keel earning her spot to the CrossFit Games. These were really, really solid performances. And the races that we saw over the course of the weekend between these athletes, Horvath putting together an absolutely amazing Saturday, winning out first, first, and first across those three events to move up the leaderboard and take that first place spot going into Sunday. That's the type of excitement that makes people think, man, I love this sport. I love watching the sport. And you can't really manufacture that. You know, as much as it's really cool to say, yeah, I love this, this was really dope, this was great to see, um, you, can't really, you can't really create that outside of putting together the scenarios within which that could flourish. And I think that's what they did. Um, that's why we talk about programming because programming helps do that. It helps create those scenarios. Another part of it is the fact that unlike regionals where you're basically competing against the same people year after year, these sanctioned events, you're seeing new combinations and new iterations of these athletes coming together. Maybe it's someone from this part of the world coming together that's someone this part of the world and competing for, you know, in a place that neither of them live or neither of them are our hometown favorites. And that I think is really important. It adds a lot to the competition. On the men's side, it was absolutely the Matt Fraser show from start to finish, but that's not to be talked down to, I think. You know, Matt. Uh, absolutely prepared very, very hard for this event. I was there for his training. I talked to him about how he was he was coming into it. You know, he had the eye of the tiger situation. He was taking it very seriously. And you could see that his preparation uh, absolutely paid off. I mean, he was able to basically put together a five to seven weekend. The only events that he didn't win were the specialist events. The run was pretty fast. I mean, you had some very, very fast runners up there. And I think he was sixth, maybe seventh in the run. Um, he was placed pretty well in the on-water rowing, considering he's not built for on-water rowing. So he probably put in some some time to practice that as well. So he took this thing seriously, and you could see he took it very seriously. But we also saw some, some very exciting performances out of athletes that didn't necessarily, you know, come away winning the weekend. I mean, obviously, you know, David Shrunky, great performance to put him into the second-place finish for the qualifying spot for the games. Lucas Hogberg, Fighting for that second place finish the entire weekend, holding on to it until essentially the last day. Those were really great storylines, storylines that I think that the, you know, we'll talk about the broadcast in a second. But I think that the broadcast team did a pretty good job of showcasing those storylines. Um, we saw Brian Slava Lenkovitz really just get out there. And honestly, even given the fact that he didn't have a great run, he crushed every other event so Except like it was just so surprising how good he was at everything else that I cannot wait to see him compete at another event, right? I just can't wait to see him show up to another sanctioned event because honestly, he deserves to be on the big stage with all those athletes. Like everyone in the top five at strength and depth deserves to be at the CrossFit Games. And I hope they keep competing until they get there. Um, we got to meet and learn about, you know, newer athletes, athletes that maybe don't have as big of a following as as other athletes Andre Huday comes to mind I think he had a couple really solid you know post event interviews where he kind of showcased his personality and and uh opened up that the possibility for him becoming you know maybe a, a favorite of some fans out there but we've talked a little bit about you know tangentially about the broadcast so let's go ahead and uh and let's go ahead and do that let's talk a little bit about the broadcast here so i i, I just have this random clip up here It has nothing to do with with what we're going to be talking about but uh Overall, um, I know the team that put together the broadcast. Um, I am familiar with the team that put together the broadcast. It's the same team that did Filthy 150. Um, They are also doing uh, at least a few more events over the course of the sanctional season. They are absolute professionals. I, uh, I feel very lucky that I got to work with them at Filthy 150. It's a team that isn't, they don't, they don't buy into their own, you know, we're the best at doing this. They understand that they're, you know, providing a service that a lot of people in the CrossFit community are interested in. They're providing a service that is really tough to pull off because of how challenging and complex CrossFit events can be. Indoor events, outdoor events, floor plan changes, You know, 30 athletes on the floor at a time. How do you follow that? How do you provide the graphics for that? These are very difficult scenarios to, to figure out. And one of the things that we were spoiled with when HQ was in charge of their own broadcast is that HQ's spend on the broadcast was not justified by the market. In fact, they were taking losses on their spend on the broadcast precisely because they could just write it off as advertising or marketing for the brand. And so they they created this expectation in the fan base of what a CrossFit event should look like when it's being broadcast. And it's very, very difficult to pull that off. I mean, you saw Mayhem did a good job of bringing in the button. They had the on-screen uh, live scoring. Also, super tough to pull off. They had some issues with it over the course of the weekend, but we're finally able to get it together um, near the end of the competition, the last day of the competition. So we saw something like that. You know, we didn't see in-person or live scoring. Um, When I say in-person it's because in order for live scoring to work, you have to have another volunteer per athlete on the floor. They're going to be on the sidelines. They need technology in their hands. Usually it's like an old cell phone or something connects to the service, connects to the the, uh, the network that the live scoring is on. When a good rep happens, they hit a green button. When a bad rep happens, they don't do anything. Right, or they have a red button to take away a rep if they if they were a little bit you know jumping the gun there. But the point is, it requires technology and an extra person per competitor. So you're like adding to not only your overhead in terms of what you need to be able to provide for the uh, the actual events engineering to work for the scorekeeping, but you also have to have the human the human beings the manpower the manpower to make it work. Now. You know, sanctioned events are absolutely pulling in more people who are helping out, more people who are volunteering, but at the end of the day, you, know, you have to make some decision as to whether you're going to be doing X, Y, or Z, right? Something has to give. I'm okay with not having live scoring. Um, I think it'll become more and more... Available. The reason why it's going to become more and more available is because now there is a market for it in which people can compete to create a better, cheaper product. Before, it was live scoring, and it was just what CrossFit Games did. Now we have live scoring that we saw at the MAM Classic. It wasn't perfect, but it certainly was much cheaper and much easier to implement than what was going on at the games. So now that there's a market within which people can compete and they can create products that you know have have different Uh, pros and cons lists I think that's absolutely going to lead to you know maybe even later this season we don't have to wait until next season later this season we're going to see some of the bigger events actually being able to pull off on screen live scoring without having you know a, a big issue with it or having too many hiccups water very important so that said I felt like my, my first reaction to the uh, broadcast was a very, very pleasant surprise because I did not expect the outdoor events to be broadcast. Like I said, those are very, very challenging to pull off. I, I, I just did not expect it. I expected there to be maybe like a recap um, going into the event. But when I saw that they were broadcasting the run as well as the on-water rowing, I was very pleasantly surprised. The in-arena in competition. I'm going to split that broadcast into two things, right? There's the broadcast for the elites, which was very well produced, had the roaming camera, you know, had the wireless cam that could focus on various races. It had the side, uh, you know, side screen. You can have like a split screen of one person doing the reps here, one person doing the reps here and seeing where they're going to be ending up. Um, And the other version of it was the like affiliate team competition, which was broadcast, but was broadcast with a more um, you know here's just a wide angle in fact the the first like four hours of this competition are all exactly that oh let's watch this ad nope i don't know who you are i'm not not giving you views anyway um the team competition was basically broadcast like this most of the time right Um, and by team competition i mean not the elites basically the stuff that was happening that wasn't the elite competition was broadcast from this angle and that's fine Cause generally speaking, that stuff isn't broadcast anyway. Um, and you can go back onto their YouTube channel. You can find every single one of these. They got really good viewership. I'd say, um, about the same amount of viewership across each day, about 180,000 views each day. That's, that's really solid. They had a solid group of people that were interested in watching this. I think they provided a good service and a good product. A couple things that I would have liked to see better. You know, I understand the difficulties of on water rowing. I think there's some iterations there that can improve what i wanted more than anything was just a running clock it's not as useful for the idea of i want to keep track of the finishes because they weren't watching an athlete start and finish completely through so it's really hard to say okay they started at 43 15 and they finished at 48 32 all right what's the math there right It it wasn't quite like that. It's just more, I'd like to have a general idea of where we are in the entire run of things. It was hard for me to tell who was coming up next and what to expect from which wave. The broadcasters and commentators, I think on on the run, I felt like on the first day, I felt like the commentators were just a little too stiff. They were just talking about things that I didn't think were super necessary. Um, They weren't bringing up points that I thought would have been really interesting and good to talk about. Uh, They were asking questions that just weren't quite, it's like just a slightly different angle. Like if you just turn this way and approach that topic, you'd see a different light and it would show you something slightly different, which I think would be a little bit more interesting to talk about. Um, But I actually thought they improved over Saturday and Sunday. I thought Saturday and Sunday, they did a really good job. Um, that is also helped by the way, by having people like Sam Briggs come in and help with the commentating, you know, uh, Chris Hinshaw came in and helped the commentating a bunch. So overall, I felt like the, the broadcast team really did a great job. Um, the, the broadcast was easy to watch. It was easy to find. Uh, it was just available right there on their YouTube for free. There wasn't really any hiccups. I'm trying to rack my brain to remember if there are any moments in which, the stream went down and I can't really think of anything. Like if, if someone watching this remembers um, remembers what, if any big mistakes happened uh, I'd love to uh, I'd love to hear it from you guys. But overall, you know, I'd say the, the biggest negative that I had with the broadcast was with the commentary crew. And like I said, that improved over the course of the weekend. I felt like by the time, you know, Saturday evening, and, uh, and Sunday was rolling by, they were really crushing it. And part of it, by the way, it could be the fact that I was waking up super early to watch these guys do their commentary. So it's like three o'clock in the morning for me. I've slept two and a half hours. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I'm cold. I'm hungry. Uh, there isn't enough coffee in the world to keep me awake right now. And I hear sort of a, a question or someone mentioning, uh, you know, a, a, a factoid that just, just isn't quite there. Like, just take another step. Just take one more step from where you were at, and you're gonna get there. And it's like, oh, come on, we're there. We're we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it, guys. But either way, um, I think they'll uh, I think they'll get there. Uh, overall, I felt like they did a really good job, um, with the broadcast. Uh, let's see, we talked about programming, competition, broadcast, in-person experience. Um, the in-person experience looked. Super cool. And based off of the conversations that I've had with a couple of the athletes that competed there, it seemed like it was a, a really jazzed crowd, just a ton of people really excited to be there, pumped to watch the competition, pumped to see what was going on, pumped to support the athletes and cheer for the athletes. You know, I, I don't think, I don't think it's, it's, it's bullshit when Matt Fraser is, is sitting there and saying, This crowd is crazy. I've never competed in front of a crowd that's felt like this before. I don't think he's blown smoke. You know, when you when you see Sharonki come up there, qualify in front of his own countrymen and the entire like just the roof blows off the place. That you can't fake that. And the fact that Strength and Depth was able to sell out their spot, fill the stands, get people watching, get people excited about it, it just goes back to the the basics of the event were put on very very well. It was organized. It was on time. Information was presented clearly. The um, programming was well done in order to to sort of facilitate good competition. I think that they just just were able to execute on those those standards incredibly well. In terms of you know the things like maybe could have been better organized or better communicated, like maybe the leaderboard, but I watched the whole thing. You're, I mean, you're, st- you're staring at what I looked like the entire time watching this thing. I was staring at my laptop. One one uh, tab was the leaderboard. One tab was the live stream, and I would just switch back and forth whenever I needed it. Uh, maybe the leaderboard could have been more obviously put out there for people, but I felt like they did a really good job of providing an environment both digitally via broadcast and physically in person um, that was exciting now I don't know what the feel was in like the uh the vendor village right I haven't spoken to any of the vendors I don't know uh, how the vendors feel about the event but when you have that many people there and they're really excited to be there chances are they're spending money so hopefully the you know the vendors also had a good time I would love to know if anybody just walked away with a Porsche by the end of the weekend, if they're just like, so jazzed, so pumped, like, you know what? I'll take that $120,000 911. Let's do this. That's perfect. I've always wanted a 911 S convertible. That's it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. I'll just take that one right there. That's the one I want. So hopefully, uh, hopefully someone actually did that. Cause that would be really, <laughs> that would be really interesting to see. Um, and I guess overall, Uh, or let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the prize pool, right? I have that written here somewhere. They had it in here. There we go. So the prizes, they actually doubled the prize pool from 2019. Um, that's not easy to do. Obviously bringing in more sponsors, selling more tickets, having a bigger venue, providing a a better experience for everybody adds money to the environment that is an event like this and that trickles into the prize pool. So I think it's really good to see that their growth from one year to the other is as big as it was. I suspect that they're going to grow again going into next year. Strength and depth is very clearly, to me at least, making a play for being a top-tier event. And when you have Matt Fraser show up, he says nothing but good things about it. You have Rich Froning and his team with Mayhem show up. They crush it. They have a good time while they're out there. You have Laura Horvath, you know Haley Adams, uh, Gabriel Miguel. You got the like the futures of the sport showing up and competing there, and they've got nothing negative to say about it. You've doubled your prize money. You provided a solid broadcast experience. I think it would be, you know, certainly a a, a trending in the direction of strength and death being one of the top tier events going into the future. They've definitely set themselves apart already. Last year, they did a really good job of both hosting an, a, a live open announcement and having 19.1 be the very first event of the the weekend and being able to put off the event. So they, they, they've been able to pull that off right from the bat and they, they made a name for themselves there. And this year, they grew by saying, hey, man, we're going to do on-water rowing. We're going to have uh, doubled our prize pool. We're going to offer... You know X, Y, and Z for our, uh, or I'm sorry, X, Y, and Z for my my Canadian and European fans here. Um, we're going to offer X, Y, and Z in terms of uh, spectator experience. I just think they did a really good job of growing the event um, in meaningful ways. I would have liked to be there in person. It's expensive to be there in person. It's not a cost that I can handle. It's not a cost that the events can handle on top of everything else they're doing. Totally understand that. I had a good time watching it on the broadcast. I'm not worried about it. I'll make it out there eventually. I know Ollie. Um, I know how hard they're working. I know the types of things that he has in mind for what he wants to do and how he wants to help the other sanctionals. And I think that's the number one thing that needs to be taken away from this is that the sanctioned events have a lot of potential. The circuit is very young. It's very, very it's just in its nascent stages right now and it can grow and mature in a lot of different directions and it takes people like ollie um, and the team here it takes people like jamie and darina with filthy 150 it takes people like rich and rory and the crew that put together you know mayhem classic these are the people that are going to be setting the tone for the remaining events right when you see dubai like i mentioned at the beginning of this being the first sanctioned event coming out and saying you know what We're going to tone our programming down a little bit. We're going to turn it into this. They set the tone for what the programming is going to look like. And it's up to the rest of the sanction events to look at it, to learn, to see where they can improve. And I hope that there is open communication between these events, because that's exactly what needs to happen in order for the, honestly, the biggest, the biggest secondary effect, the biggest network effect of the sanctional season as it is right now is the fact that every two or three weeks, another one's happening. Now it's, It's too quick of a turnaround for, let's say, the next one I think is Norway, for Norway to learn from what happened in strength and depth in any huge changes, right? They're not going to suddenly add on water rowing. However, it is not too late for them to, you know, let's talk, Ollie. Tell me what you learned, what, what happened over the weekend that we can improve on. And they can already implement that going into that week, not to mention the fact that they've seen six other sanctioned events occur over the course of the week. Um, I'm sorry, over the course of the season, sanctioned events that were happening while they were still in the planning stages and execution stages of their event, they can add in changes. So this is January. We have 17 more sanctioned events this season, 16, 17, 18 more sanctioned events this season, something like that between now and July. The events that are taking place in May, June, July, they can learn a lot from what an event like Strength and Depth was able to pull off, and I think that if they are not, if they're not trying to get a hold of Ollie, and if Ollie is not making himself available for those other sanctioned events, everyone is doing a disservice for everybody. Now, luckily, I'm pretty sure that's not the case because, like I said, I've met Ollie, I've talked to him a bunch of times. Um, he has a, a really great vision for what he wants Strength and Depth to become. And where he wants to sort of take the conglomeration of European sanctionals and how he wants to grow all of them together. Um, if everyone's you know interested in being at the same table and talking to one another. So I hope that sort of thing happens. Um, but that said, that was Strength and Depth, uh, a very, very, very well done event. Um, uh, it was exciting to watch. And I've watched a lot of fitness. Sometimes it's not as exciting to watch as it used to be. I'll tell you that right now. But... I think that strength and depth, something came together. It was a great weekend. The I, I, I'll say it again. You can't really affect that competition. You can't fake it, but you can create the environment for it to flourish. And I think they did exactly that. They had a good show. They had good programming. They had great athletes showing up. Um, they had a really great crowd uh, who were there to have a good time and support everybody. And it all kind of came together and it showed showed really well. So I, I'm actually very proud of how strengthened up went off. Like I have nothing to do with how it went. I'm just really pumped to be like, hey man, that's the sport that I get to talk about. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to be able to say that. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this. If you did, thank you very much. Let's see if there's any questions in this uh, live feed over here. Let's see. Nestor Corvara, what's an unexpected improvement from the old system that you have noticed? And or... What is something you hope improves as the second year of the system develops? Um, I talked about that just a little bit, this idea that there's a network effect of as the events learn from the previous events, they don't have to wait for their next version. They can just learn from what the last sanctional did a month ago or what the next sanctional is going to be doing. They can teach them you know, what to learn. And so I think that's really important. There's a lot of um, interesting moments there that you can pick up. And if this is your job, if this is your profession, if this is how you're going to make money with an event like this, you can learn a lot just by seeing what the previous people did. You don't have to live it. Uh, you don't have to, have to have that lived experience. You can just get it from talking to people and learning from their their own experiences. Um, let's see. Uh, any other questions here? Best moment of the show from Perry. Uh, best moment of the show. I talked a little bit about Shurunky's little interview at the very end there. Um, I personally thought that was my favorite moment of the show. That was sharonky getting out there and, and saying, thank you for cheering on Zach George. Uh, that to me was just such a great highlight of his personality and who he is. Um, I actually got a chance to interview him this morning. So that video is going to come out, uh, probably sometime early next week, if I had to guess, but yeah, I'd say that was probably one of my favorite moments, uh, on the competitive floor in terms of the competition. I'm really excited to see Kelsey Keel qualify. I think that's a good, that's a good moment to also point out, you know, she's, she's been at it for a long time. Um, She obviously earned her spot really well by competing against some of the best in the world. Uh, I thought Laura Horvath's weekend that Saturday, man, that is so hard to do to win out uh, a full day of competition. That's so hard to do, especially when you got some heavy hitters right behind you It's really, really impressive to see that happen. Uh, Matt Fraser's 10 touch and go cleans at 220. Damn, that was, that was spicy. The moment that showed up, the moment he did that, I was just, I was sitting right here and I lost, I lost my mind my mind just exploded out of my sweaty mullet. It just exploded out of the top of my head. I lost my mind. And I'd already lo- I'd just barely regathered my mind from watching Branislav do a double at 140. I was like, okay, I got everything back. It's all back here. We're good to go. And then I saw Matt Fraser do that. And I was like, I just did this. I just, I just got it back. What am I, why am I having to deal with this again? So that was, that was really dope. Um, Anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for watching. Really hope you guys had a good time. If you did, maybe you know, like, subscribe to the channel, say what's going on, um, uh, and I will definitely see you guys next time. Uh, yeah, that's that's about it. If you liked the little video thingy I put together, the little intro thingy uh, I put together in the beginning, um, let me know. I'm playing around with it. You know, it's kind of it's kind of tough to like just hit go live and and suddenly just be sitting here, not exactly you know, like three, two, one, ready to do this. Uh, So I kind of wanted to give a little like intro video. That's a little fun to watch, you know, a little dope little funk music, but I don't know. I'll play around with it. We'll find something cool. And if you have any suggestions for what you think might make this cooler, let me know. Like a live scoring for this live feed is probably not, probably not going to work. I think I need to get a more comfortable chair sitting up in this position is, is not easy to do but whatever. I have water. That's what matters. I'm, I'm well hydrated. Thank you so much, everybody. I'll see you guys next time.